Hello, friend. You are listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod, an all things Wizard of Oz podcast that will take you over the rainbow and down a yellow brick rabbit hole as we pull back the curtain on American culture's most visited fairyland. We are your hosts, Tara and MK, the royal revisionists of Oz and roommates in Queens, New York here to preserve the rustic emeralds of yesteryear and reimagine an Oz for today and future generations. This season, we will be deep diving with the melodies of the many musical adaptations of L. Frank Baum's original Oz book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, taking up residency in the 1939 classic MGM film, as well as the 70s super soul hit, The Wiz. Visit our Insta at Down the Yellow Brick Pod for an accompanying scrapbook and fave space to connect, as well as our Patreon community where we continue the escapism and entertainment with Tiny Oz concerts, acoustic coffee shop covers and mashups, not sponsored by NPR, and other good witchy perks for each Patreon tier. Our Patreons are truly our MVPs. Consider joining our Oz fam today, it would truly make our day. May the world of Oz continue to be a bewitching escape in bewildering years, nostalgic and nuanced, and a magical refuge where two gals and queens can cross yellow brick roads with wonders like you. Zoe O'Halen Byrne is a lifelong Oz fan and performer. Therefore, it's no surprise that her two passions have intersected many times over the years. She has appeared in numerous stage productions of The Wizard of Oz, including the infamous Muni adaptation. Her obsession with all things Oz and theater has also led her to collect numerous production programs and conduct hours upon hours of research that has proven useless until this very moment. We are so lucky, Zoe. In the world of Oz, Zoe is perhaps better known as the Scarecrow or the Wicked Witch than as herself. She is the founder and executive director of The Spirit of Oz, a costumed character troupe that tours the country visiting Oz and family-themed events, as well as schools, libraries, and children's hospitals. Zoe is also a co-host of the International Wizard of Oz Club's Oz Talk, which can be found on YouTube. Okay, friends. Welcome. Well, we are phoning a friend yeah. right in this moment to help us out in this patching together emergency patchwork girl of Oz style <laughs> together, this Muni production of The Wizard of Oz. And we're so happy to have Zoe, our friend Zoe, Zoe. with us today. So, Zoe, can you walk us through from what you have gathered? Um, this timeline of Frank Gabrielson Muni production a little bit, maybe about the inception of what, you know, and like when it was like thriving, like what, when was its peak? What do you know? What have you acquired anything from your collection that you want to share? We are all ears and very excited to have you here. It feels like kindergarten show and tell. <laughs> tell and us. I'm very excited. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> really glad to be here. And It's interesting because there is so little for how this reigns supreme in the theater world as the representation of Wizard of Oz for decades. There's so little information out there. Hmm. Um, So what we do know is, you know, around 1939, the film came out from MGM. It was a critical and fan success. You know, there's that whole hullabaloo fakeness that it was a flop, which it wasn't. Um, But people took notice. Now, at this time, it was just another adaptation. It had been done before. You know, there was the 1902 Broadway musical, which um, after the Broadway run had fallen, the rights had gone to Tams Whitmark. Um, they're an organization you'll hear a couple of more times here. Um, and then, you know, then there were the movies of 1925, 1933, which I don't think even got distributed in its original time. But, you know, the movie came out. And I think as great as it was, what people really took away were the songs. The songs became pop hits to an extent. So sometime in the early 40s, probably 1941-ish, the Muni Theater in St. Louis decided, hey, we want to do an adaptation of Oz. Um, Up until this point, your options for doing Oz on stage were to do the the Paul Teachin's 1902, the the musical extravaganza. And I probably just butchered Paul's last name, but, um, uh, you know, you could do that feels right. we are never the ones <laughs> don't ask, ask us in this yeah, department we make it up. <laughs> but 
so you you could do that 1902 version, which for again, as popular as it was, it had musical numbers about football and the circus and the ball of nations. And that so at this point, fans were wanting a little bit more of Baum's novel, but the music was so popular. So they decided, hey, we'll license MGM's music. We'll write our own script that's a little bit closer to the novel, because I think they thought there's no way we're going to have a floating head and a witch skywriting. So they, they thought, okay, we can't do this. We need to do a more traditional storybook theater show. So they wrote it. They um, commissioned Frank Gabrielson to do the adaptation. Which, um, yeah, you know, his, his writing is actually pretty funny. And some people might also recognize his name. He did the adaptation for Shirley Temple's Land of Oz. Uh, yes, that's the coolest iconic. connection. I love that he has like a little footing just in the world mm-hmm. of Oz at large. So cool. Yeah, so I'm going to guess that he's an Oz fan because for one, he uses yeah. book names. Like, I mean, we see Ozma's name in the Muni version, not in the context you'd expect to see your name. The servants are the Oz. Like, it's weird. Um, Tell me more, because, okay. Her name is Ozma's, right? Em read the script and I haven't read the script. I like, I went off-roading in other areas. So tell me, wait, what is, when is Ozma mentioned? Ozma's? Yeah, the wizard has like a handmaiden and like in some scripts I see it as a singular, like it's a singular person named Ozma's. But then sometimes in later scripts, it started to become like an army of like handmaidens who were then the Ozma's. Yeah. Like yeah. plural and oh like plural, like not like Christmas Ozma's. In in the <laughs> in the script I read, it is one person Ozma's. and her name is Ozma's. But then yes, then and it then, also be plural. Yeah, and then um, you know, the wicked witch is visited by Mombi. Yeah, Mombi's there. So is Ozmus like almost like a jolly a lamb situation? Like, is it that kind of character? Kind of, you know, it's been yeah. handmade since I read it, but yeah, like it's just, let, let me pull out the libretto. Let please. me let me reference. It's just funny because Ozma is like the queen. So you're like, what are you doing but here? Maybe it's just a nod. It could be a nod. A nod yes. to like, I know the books. Like, hey, yeah. it's just like yeah, that's think- a big character to reference. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they just needed a name for a character and they're like, Ozma. Ozma's. Like, I even think uh-huh. maybe this, in this earlier script I'm looking at, I feel like Ozma's might even have been a man. Oh, mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, if we do think of like, I don't know. I'm going to say something wacky, but I'm just going to go with it. When you had like a leader in a land, often people would name their children after that leader. So they could be like. They could have named Ozma's after Ozma. That's smart. That's smart. Could have been that. I mean, if we're really getting into. The logistics. Yeah, the logistics (laughs) of the land of Oz. (laughs) And I don't think anyone would have gotten it if he had named the person Pastorius. People would have been like, who? Right, right. It doesn't. That's that's such a deep cut bomb reference. And still at the time, protect. It's funny because that they used Mombi's name or a name close to Ozma because at the time, Marvelous Land was still copyrighted by a different entity than what owned wonderful wizard when they licensed it mm. right but, um yeah it's such an interesting script because he clearly knew the book and he made departures that you're like okay you have to do it for stage there's no way that you could pull off the mgm film or even the book at this time period right but there are some very um interesting omissions first of all the first thing you'll notice that is not in the show at all is toto Toto, Toto doesn't even exist in this world. That's sad. I know. Mm. They were like, um, we're not gonna, we don't have the money a reference. to yeah. have a dog backstage. They're like, and we're not doing a cow. We're not doing that again. Not doing um, a <laughs> So they, um, you know, Toto's not in there. A lot of the pro, I have a lot of programs in my collection that do indicate that Toto was added back. Oh, um, sure. Love it. And, and I've seen production photos that indicate that even the Muni later on added him and like they just never bothered to write new lines for it. There, there's not even a reference. He would just be like a prop to Dorothy, basically. <laughs> Directorial <laughs> choice. Yeah, exactly. And like, um, I'm looking to see if he happens to even be in this squirt. You no. like Is it a stuffed Toto? Because some I've seen are like puppets <laughs> playing. I've toto. seen puppets. I've seen plushies. I've Heard people say, oh, my high school did the Muni when I was in high school in the 70s, and I played Toto like it's like a human, like a short person was like, yes. or someone down on all fours. Um, yeah, you know, oh, classic. It's interesting. Um, there was a ice skating show in the 60s in England right. that, as far right. as I can tell, used the Muni as its 
face. Excuse me. Yes, we're going to get into this. This You're correct. I've done a little bit of research on this because there was a whole ice world of Oz before the big like 90s production. This is my dream, which is all I care about. Toto was inserted in that and he had his whole dream ballet, but it was totally just a woman in like a fursuit with a plastic dog mask and it's creepy. Um, Skating. um, Nightmares. (laughs) Another interesting interesting omission, there's no magic shoes. Ruby or No shoes. No shoes. No shoes. Um, It's funny because like they go like several miles before they even find the yellow brick road. Like Dorothy's got the scarecrow. They're finding the tin man before they even find the yellow brick road and sing, follow the yellow brick road or off to see the wizard. It's like doing it all wrong. Um, I also, I also feel bad for whoever was cast as scarecrow because the script denotes that he's on the pole in Munchkin land visible. So there, yeah, before. So just chilling. chilling the whole scene. The extravaganza had this issue too. Like they had yeah. chill for such a long time. She was like, I hope your arms crazy. don't get tired. Like, yeah, yeah, that's hard. Especially like that's the, a long scene. The physical challenges that are going to come after getting off the pole. Right. Dear mm-hmm. Lord. <laughs> you need your PT. <laughs> but um, also the poppy field is gone, mm-hmm. which Gosh. I was like, the poppy field seems like it's just as easy to do as they replace it. They put the haunted forest there. Right. The jitterbug comes very early. Yeah. The jitterbug happens there, which is yeah. I, why, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then there's all sorts of interesting additions. There's the rotating rainbow bridge that the Wicked Witch enchant um, this, to mess with the scarecrow and Dorothy. What she was doing. She was like, just flip it around. Yeah, she's like, we ain't playing this game. Um, <laughs> which I feel like was very much, they took that off of MGM saying, you know, the witch was more present throughout. Let's keep that going. Um, yeah. And also, they they, div, they definitely tried to copy MGM a little bit that the Wicked Witch does show up in Munchkinland, but mm-hmm. not until Glinda's gone. Do we right. know if the witch was green in the movie In the directions, it says an old-fashioned yes. Halloween regular witch. Just which a regular witch. Hilarious. We know what that is. Regular Halloween witch. That that it doesn't feel like it's notated anywhere specifically. (laughs) Again, this would be directorial choice, right? Yeah, Zoe. Do you know? Um. So yeah, it's funny. Um. This this particular one says a traditional pantomime wicked witch, broomstick and all, with Walt Disney overtones. (laughs) Walt Disney overtones. What does this mean? What does that mean? So we can go lots of ways. We can go either evil queen way, or we can go like old hag. I'm gonna guess. Um, knowing how traditional pantomime theater was done back in the day they probably didn't bother with making her green sure i could maybe them doing hints of green like kind of like a highlight contour eyes kind of thing but not painting her full-on green because i also don't feel like that green was so innovative for wizard the movie i don't think many theater companies could get something so pigmented for stage that wasn't deadly you know right yeah that is the question yeah i like not, I'm not judging, but I'm like the makeup artists in Missouri also might not be at that level to make yeah. those decisions. If like Hollywood was struggling right. with making the decisions on yeah, like safe makeup, to safe put on makeup the face. and not <laughs> killing people. Yes. It's interesting to see like old production photos from the early days. Cause the witch would usually just be in like, it looked like a choir row, like just a baggy. <laughs> so think what um, Mamba the witch looked like in the 1910 silent film ah, okay baggy thing usually like a neck ruff and then like a little like witch hat and okay. there's pictures of margaret hamilton and they're in black and white so you can't really tell but it looks like her robe is white or light colored because in the black and white photo it appears white so i'm like what are you doing is and that margaret like hamilton, light green or like what like yellow i don't know she appeared in it in the 50s she would do it okay yeah wow. yeah and she actually ended up doing it a lot of places she did it um for starlight theater i think right City, and then she did it for Starlight Musicals in Indianapolis in a production that was in a tent in a parking lot. And I drive past that parking lot to go to work. She was here in a tent. <laughs> she was here in a tent playing the Wicked Witch in a scraggly dry wig. Like the I, photos are not great. Like she's got this like scraggly gray witch wig, and she's like, oh, and she's the picture is her like stirring a cauldron that's paper mache, and it's like. She starred in an MG, the most famous iteration of Oz ever, and now she's in a parking lot. 
I kind of respect her. I love her so much because I don't think she really, I think she really kept her ambitions to what is pleasing children. Like she Mm -hmm. just it to that it wasn't so yeah. it was never like the caliber I feel I like of the production this, like I yeah from what I gather of her I want more Margaret Hamilton she has a good spirit like she had no like her ego didn't get messed up mm-hmm. and as it mm-hmm. came with this career very easily yeah. with any kind of stage like career that's beneath or me, yeah unquote. Hollywood yeah. career yeah she didn't really get it mixed on up she just kind of she was in those tents she was in yeah, those if it pays your bills and you're playing a role in a show you like why why not why also like legacy, honey. Yeah. Legacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She didn't have that Maxwell house money yet. Uh, <laughs> not, it's yeah. coming. It's, it's yeah, coming. On its way. And then oh. she'd horrify everyone on Sesame street. So that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And I, I would have loved to have seen her in these shows. Cause I would have liked to see how she, I read these scenes and I'm like, I want to see how Margaret handles it. Like yeah. Dorothy goes into the house to get a toothbrush. And then the witch just shows up and is like, <laughs> you with the toothbrush, you killed my sister. Like, the toothbrush. Why is a toothbrush? The stakes are high. It is a toothbrush. Melodramatic because she says like things like like it's F-E-U-G-H. Like that's what she says when she gets mad. And I just like that's what I imagine her saying. Like, I don't know. That's like the witch's expletive. Exclamative. I cannot say words today. (laughs) But she just exclaims it when she's mad, Um, which is so bizarre. And then like, I want to see Margaret Hamilton get dunked into a giant cauldron. Yeah, yeah. She gets a bucket of water thrown on her. She gets pushed into a boiling cauldron full of shrinking potion. Yeah, how would they do that? The the shrunk version would it be like a little? Um, So they would usually the script denotes two different sets. So first the actress would go in, and then a child would come out. Oh, and like run away, and the kid man would pick her up and throw her back in, and then then a marionette would come out and do the final. Oh, whatever the line was, but she's like, (laughs) (laughs) we think of um, uh, Harry and Marv in Home Alone being like, foot your fridge, yes, 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 like that's that kind of improv, maybe like the original witch improved a little bit, I don't know, or they really went with this really bizarre. I think, I think it was Kurt Raymond who once in an article about the Muni was talking about how they like pick her up and dunk her in this cauldron, knowing that it will destroy her. And he's like premeditated much. Like, you know, it's not an accident. It's not like trying to get out. Like there's like a part of the script says the tin man bonks her with the ax to get her back. Like I would assume they mean the back end of the ax, but like still it's like, bam, I'm going to hit this woman and drown her. I don't. That's actually quite a huge change. That changes everything. That's a big intention. Accidental death to premeditation what's the witch going to gain in this version she does there's no slippers she just just wants to destroy her like she has two other witches come over for a tea party just so that they can scheme how to destroy dorothy but they have to create this potion to get the magic mark of the good witch off her forehead hey so she's that's her thing the glowing mark on her head is like her magic thing in this yeah yeah wow but it's kind of like what's her intention she just wants to destroy them for the sake of destroying them well i guess she also killed her sister yeah i think it's just a, a full revenge 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 fantasy yeah, yeah. like that's I, and that's good enough honestly that's good enough i feel like for motivation you killed my sister that's good enough yes <laughs> that's reason enough that's reason to get enough. mad at someone yes i could see why she would want to go after this <laughs> yeah. girl um but no it is it is interesting that it just doesn't have the shoes and i wonder now like looking at like on Concord theatricals page, which has the licensing now and just scrolling down and seeing all these productions of the Frank Gabrielson script. I wonder if they've added the shoes back in in some right. way, like how can you do the wizard of Oz without sparkly shoes? I know it's on anyone's feet. Like how? I think a lot of theater companies, what they'll do now is they'll license the Muni cause it's cheaper. Right. And then they'll just go in and change it. Like they'll be like, here's, Here's the movie screenplay here and the the piano vocal book from Mm -hmm. Hal Leonard or whatever company publishes it. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of illegal productions going on, which we know that the thing that happened, I've heard people say that they did the show in the 60s and 70s and they were like doing their best to be like, well, how did this actually go in the movie, which there was no VHS or anything to reference. You had to either watch it on TV and memorize it or write it down. Um, I have a copy of it. That's not the same. Two scripts, yeah. The copy of the script from the 70s that um, I got from a flea market. Yeah. It, is, it is 
a copy of the rental from Tam Whitmark that someone must have just never returned. Um, but in it was really interesting because these old fashioned bindings have these metal clips so you can change it out. Um, someone rewrote all of Kansas and inserted it. So they added in Miss Gulch and- Right, omitted it. She's, she's credited as Elvira Gulch. Oh, so Elvira. I just see Cassandra Peterson on a bike with, you know, her cleavage hanging out. Like that's uh-huh. um, also like, probably just like memory, just not like, remembering oh, it, it correctly. Like that's around, totally yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely like whoever wrote it was doing it from memory and they kind of get it. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're, but they're like, it's clearly like from memory and not totally correct. Like they've got the general gist. Uh, like I'm trying to find a line. Uh, you know where this production happened, Zoe, of the 70s production? I don't. Um, it has an actor's name written in it, but it has no theater company or anything oh. like that listed. I'm going to assume that maybe it was a community theater, but I I mean, I could be wrong. It could be a summer stock. and That's amazing. I love it. I love that they're like rewriting the beginning. Joe, yeah. farm, farmhand Joe. Probably cut in this version. Bye. No, he's in here, um, okay. but they had tried to like rewrite him. So he's covering Hunk Hickory and Zeke. Like they've tried to like put those lines back in. Um, yeah, like Miss Gulch comes in and Dorothy does kind of like the, uh, you know, the, instead of I'll bite you myself, I won't apologize. She's a wicked old witch. All the kids know it. She's a wicked old witch. Like all the kids know it. And like. And him, the Dorothy, go in this house this instant, and blah, 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 blah. And then Miss Gulch goes on about her being an ill-bred brat. And then <gasps> Aunt Em threatens to punch her. Get it. Violence. Yeah, and yelling, I'll show you ill-bred. Because she calls Dorothy ill-bred. And Aunt Em's like, I'll show you ill-bred. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to see Aunt Em throw hands. Like that's, yeah. That's the production I want. That's the production we deserve. Um, I mean, we deserve to see like what she what she would a have good said Christian woman. if she wasn't a good yeah. Christian woman. Mm. We deserve to let Let's her just see. throw down. <laughs> it's weird that they felt the need to rewrite Kansas to put Miss Gulch in. Like maybe they just felt like they wanted to up what the Wicked Witch actress was doing. But then they left the ending alone. So for okay. anyone who doesn't know the movie, here's we got to get to. I, I know you all have been waiting for this. You're like, there's no slippers. How does Dorothy get home? Oh, she must ride in the balloon with the wizard, right? Yeah. Kind of. Um, instead of having a hot air balloon, as the wizard said, you know what? Let me just read a little excerpt from, oh, from it. Oh, that's wording. <laughs> I wonder what inspired this, what we're about to hear. Get ready, y'all. All right. I'll take you back to Kansas myself. I've had a longing lately to see Omaha. But how will we go, Dorothy asked. I'm going to say it like, I'm reading it like it's a book. <laughs> the same way we came, through the air. Have you still got the balloon? Balloon, my dear, no one travels in balloons these days. I've got something much better than that. I've been working on it for years, just in case I ever needed to go away quickly. Shall we say? Uh, and then people are like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Like, it's like that ad lib. Ooh, you know, everyone's excited on stage. Yeah. Because it's the Fab Four plus a bunch of Emerald City people who are apparently here. Um, and the, wizard, the wizard retorts so proudly an atomic rocket ship oh <gasps> he's had that the whole time i love that i just slipped into tim curry for that an atomic rocket ship that was fantastic <laughs> tim curry would be an excellent wizard he, Let's i just would say that, so. to see that <laughs> yeah what inspired this what inspired can, the rocket ship i can only imagine that they're going with this whole like this is the Wizard of Oz of the 1940s. Like, yeah, I think they were thinking a balloon is passe. Like, let's make this cool. Let's make people go, oh, we've got a rocket ship on stage. Ooh, okay. They were yeah, updating like, for the uh, modern audience. For the modern child. <laughs> Rockets. And it's funny because, like, it says in the script that as they rocket, you see Dorothy and the wizard's face peering out the window. They go up in the sky. The ensemble grabs hands and stands under it and sings over the rainbow and the curtain falls and that's you don't even see her get home so for all we know they crashed or they crashed in another there. world yeah yeah, yeah there wasn't like yeah. maybe they were going to make another musical based on dorothy and the wizard where the rocket ship lands Ooh. in the glass city i don't know i would love um, that but it's it's oh, weird because you never see her get home we don't know if she did there's no guarantee 
Yeah, it's a scary ending. Everyone just waves goodbye. And that's Over it. The rainbow. <laughs> um, I've heard people say that they're like, oh no, I'm sure it was the balloon in 1942 and the rocket ship came in the 50s, but I can't find anything to support that. Even the oh, same. Yeah, even the St. Louis Archives says that a production in the 1970s was the first time the Wizards' iconic balloon made it into the show. So it was sometime in the 70s, the Muni was even like, guys, we we made a mistake. Which, I mean, it's worth noting that the Muni still does the Wizard of Oz, but they've since started licensing the Royal Shakespeare version. Right, right. Right, right, right. Um, right. Oh my gosh. Wow. Zoe, what other programs, playbills do you have? Anything that you want to note from your collection? Because we cannot with some of the bios we've been reading also just like everyone has their own unique way of stitching these songs together Mm -hmm. even just from the amateur production we have a playbill up to the summer stock production it's different the characters are different yeah people would like rename characters they'd make it more like a movie they'd take characters out um there's a song in the script that's not in the movie called uh evening star where dorothy's singing about finding her true love we love it it's pretty you're like 11 calm down um but you know and, and then like uh the the snow glinda uses snow to kill the jitterbugs and they put in tchaikovsky's sleeping beauty ballet and it's okay whatever um but yeah you do see interesting songs interpolated um i've got a program from the 1946 season in st louis which uh i love because it's got like ex- big exclamation the municipal open air theater yeah um, and I mean, this is like back in a day where like they basically gave you a one sheet that doesn't have too much information. Um, they do credit book and lyrics by L. Frank Baum, music by Paul Titchens. Whoops. Um, maybe. Which is, I mean, maybe they use some of his underscore. I was going to say, yeah, I wonder there's like additional. I did hear, and I didn't investigate this thoroughly enough at this moment, but I remember hearing there was some even some weird crossbreed of the extravaganza with some MGM music. I would believe it because here's the thing is um, it ended up at some point the Muni production and the um, extravaganza both became property of Tams Whitmark. Ha. Huh. They so both became, sure. and then Royal Shakespeare. All the MGM and major adaptations of Oz are still owned by Tams Whitmark, which is now owned by Concord Theatrical. Yes, 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 yes. And that, thank you for clarifying mm-hmm. that. This all gets a little confusing, but it's yeah. like, oh, they're all the same kind of thing. And then there are like, mm-hmm. there are also foreign arms of Concord. So like if you're in Australia, you might see that it's presented by, uh, I think it's like Music Works or something like that. Right. And Joseph Weinberger had it in England. Um, so I'm opening this program for the first time, like since I bought it, I immediately framed it and really haven't touched it since. So oh my God. No better time than now. Because it does say down below, mo- music of recent screen inversion of The Wizard of Oz interpolated through courtesy of composer Harold Arlen and E.Y. Harburg and Thank Metro you. Goldwyn Mayer. Modern adaptation of story by Frank Gabrielson. Modern. See, that's the rock. The that's it they're like yep. modern mm-hmm. we have a updating. rocket ship coming <laughs> Just to wait. it's also interesting to see um they outsourced costumes it references a costume firm in uh doesn't say where they're from but it does say that the brooks costume company did okay. Costume. Okay. Um, brooks costume got it <laughs> looking at this program the cast includes antem joe a farmhand uncle henry dorothy mm-hmm. mayor of munchkinland a munchkin farmer source Oh, that's a typo. Sorcerer of the North. Oh. They do not call her Glinda. They do not call her the Good Witch right. of the North. Mm-hmm. Show they call her the Sorceress of the North. Correct. Except here is you can't say which. That. Can't say it's which. Not it's too. It's too soon. Witches <laughs> <laughs> are evil. Wicked Witch of the West, the Scarecrow, the Tin Woodman, a Cowardly Lion, a Private, First General, an Old Lady, Lord Growly, Gloria, his daughter. Um, which for people who don't know, Gloria sings Merry Old Land of Oz because there's no gatekeeper. Right. Mm-hmm. Get it, Gloria. She gets her little solo. Yeah. The, the Wizard of Oz, the first witch, second witch, which in the script they're labeled as Mombi and uh, Sarah, which I think of Sarah Sanderson. But I've also seen the names redone. I saw an Australian production who named one of the witches Greta Gravesnatch, which would make such a great drag name. So I have already. Gravesnatch. Um, Ooh. I've already kind of like stole, I've already kind of stolen it and I'll sue anyone who tried. No, I'm yes, um, I actually want to create like a Halloween character around this of this befuddled old witch named Greta Gravesnatch. I'm like, 
I saw that name and I was inspired. So. He's Jacob. I, I will be waiting. <laughs> like I need her to have a little bit of Garbo charm to her. And right. I, I like, I need it's to like know old Hollywood, but uh, yeah, old Hollywood. I am living for this. But uh, it's really interesting because there's no monkeys and there's no winkies. There's just Tibia, the skeleton butler. We love Tibia. Skeleton butler, yes. And the ghost. The, the ghost. For me. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at this script from 46. Um, it doesn't look like they've messed with the music much in this production. Um, oh, okay. I take that back. In act two, they have removed Evening Star and replaced it with someday I'll find my love. Someday, my prince. I also love. saw That's that. What I heard. Like, I'm wondering if it was a rewrite. Because I have heard people say someday my prince will come is in productions that they've seen. This is wow. correct. I can actually back that up. Um, I believe it. From what is recorded in the Adapting the Wizard of Oz essay, um, we're not in Kansas anymore. It says that... There was at least one production in Denver in the 1940s that added Someday My Prince Will Come from Disney Snow White. So that's noted here. Um, what? So wild. Because it's like, well, that what? Copyright licensing. I also just wanted to quickly say, just based looking at my little sweet um, 1970s playbill, 1970 to be exact, from W. Cresper Clark Junior High School. Um, who is probably announcing its ninth annual musical comedy they have named the witches oh tell us zelda minerva melisandra and mirtha there's four witches well i mean that's women it looks like not what a high school production would do is everyone we have 12 yes. witches i was like obsessed with this Zelda. yes okay. and i'm loving like the um italian and jewish mix of last names for these, for these young women Love <laughs> it. one program i didn't pull it out it's from a um community theater oh, in england true. and they performed it in an assembly room of a community center and it does have all kinds of um weird little notes like just changes like extra characters and it's it's so weird to see these community theaters and schools that you're like this is the best they could get you know they're doing the best they can they're trying Um, they're trying right it's charming it's just really charming Mm -hmm. this little playbill is one of my favorite things that I randomly came across because there's like a mission statement let me just also share statement they they all put synopsises in their playbills but this one is Actually quite deep, but simple. Dorothy's search for peace through the discovery of an untroubled place over the rainbow is not a new one. And the needs of our three friends, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion are not unlike those of every man. The search for knowledge, love, and strength of character is universal. We have chosen to do The Wizard of Oz because of its identification with these lofty human aspirations. It's like, okay, okay, they got to the point. Give us purpose. Yeah. I am very excited. Also, there's just like a charming photo oh my of all gosh. the little children on bleachers. The cast. You know, I, your window. So I, also I love, love this. I love the productions where like you see the cast photos and you're. it's clear that they're like, we just use what we had in stock. So Dorothy is like in, this dress was in Alice in Wonderland the season before, you know. It's, yeah, it's super charming. Oh yeah. And resourceful. I, I you love. Do what, you do what you can. I love it's when it's like an old attic just threw this together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I select old programs just to see what people did with Oz in different times and different yeah. places. YouTube now gives us a really interesting position where you see people are going back and converting their home videos. Yes. So there are Muni productions on YouTube that you can go watch. Some of them are modern. Some are from the 70s or 80s and they've been transferred from like a really rickety old like I need this. I could not find this. There are, there's a lot of hybrids too. And like, don't search for Muni. Just search for Wizard of Oz play and like go back through some of the older ones because a lot of people don't know what Muni is. That is, yeah. They yeah. Were, there's, what there's what one if that's like Wizard of Oz 70s in? Do you think that would work? Like if I put in like the year, like a 70? I could not find anything of the Muni production. I'll see if I can find them and send you links. Okay. There's one from 1992 from a college that did a hybrid show. It's using the Royal Shakespeare orchestrations mostly, but there's still elements like the Rainbow Bridge is there and um, Evening Star is there. It's and oh, I, I love think they did a hot air balloon ending. Um, 
as so we should. <laughs> here is another fun program. This is from the Strand Theater of London. I yes. don't see, I don't see an exact oh 19. Oh, this is older than I thought. Uh it was printed in December 20 on December 20th, 1948. Um, so this was from a production that ran at 2:30 and 6 o'clock from December 24th to January 22nd. So I'm assuming that's 1948 into 1949. Well, that's a quick turnover for that cast, but I'm really, really obsessed. <laughs> um so this one has Dorothy, but additionally has Billy afterwards the scarecrow, Nick afterwards the tin man, Aunt M. Afterwards, the good witch. Wilma, afterwards, the wicked witch. So there's a Miss Gulch character, which is Wilma. Uh, and I can imagine someone yelling, Wilma! Like, yeah. <laughs> Crossover. Um, Leo, afterwards, the cowardly lion. I like yeah. that little that was That was odd. Well, and I also like that Nick became the Tin Man. I'm like, is that a marvelous like, reference? Has like, to be. Yeah, it's oh, cute, Billy. Because um, wasn't the name Niccolo Chopper in the. Yeah, the- yes. Niccolo the- the play and then was retrofit into Marvelous Land. Yeah. Just the same as Gail was invented for the 1902 musical. And then hey. you never know that she's Dorothy Gale until um, Ozma. Uh-huh. Right. That's um, so Professor Marvel is in here. Afterwards, the wizard. Is. And Toto, Dorothy's pet dog. Um, going down the list, there's some interesting things. There is a Duchess of Munchkin Land. Oh. Her oh pages. God. A deaf lady, which I can only imagine is offensive. Oh, goodness. Yes. Oh, goodness. I can only imagine. The policeman. Okay. Whatever that means. Policeman of Oz. And it's funny because this script, it does denote that it's the Gabrielson adaptation. So clearly they're working off of that. You're saying Wizard of Oz, the policeman. Yeah, you know. (laughs) Patrol Oz. Uh, the, The Wicked Witch has a cat. Ugh. There's a major domo in the Emerald City. The coachman, Bardo, the wizard's assistant, Bardo, Binky, and then the cheeky boy and his friends. Who did you play in The Wizard of Oz? The cheeky boy. I was Bardo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. cheeky boy. <laughs> the boy and his friends just have single names. They don't have like their full, it's like Berangier. These are French names, and I'm going to. Berangere and Raymond. I, I don't know if maybe they were like clowns. Like it seems like that's something they might have done is brought in clowns or mimes or some like pantomime yeah. star that was known by these names for like a bit role. Um, they're also credited as specialty dancers. Those same. They're so weird. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I love this so much. This feels par for the course. Yeah, there's a rain ballet in this version. Oh, so many ballets. Um, if I were King of the Forest, add it back in. Oh, okay. What was King of the Forest? <gasps> Love King of the it. Because it is King of the Forest in some of these versions, right? King of the Forest was not in most of these versions. It wasn't. No, because it it definitely was not in the original script, and I don't think it's ever been officially retrofit. But yeah, it's uh, not. I've seen it added a couple of times because, like, I think a lot of people think, well, the lion has such a small part if he doesn't have that song. Um, mm. This whole program is interesting because you probably can't see, but Tin Man's wearing like a space helmet. Space, there it is again. Obsession with space. But this is 48? You said this is 1948, this one? Yeah, so that to me really supports the idea that they were thinking space age in the form. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my dad got another... Just being obsessed with the moon and obsessed with space when he was a kid. I'm he sure. Was, he grew up in the 60s, so that's like, a, there's still a time hop there, but... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's... Uh, I mean, I guess this was the age that they were deciding, hey, let's make our Christmas trees out of silver tinsel. Merry Christmas. Yeah, have fun. There's no date on this. I have one from the Valley Music Theater in Woodland Hills, California, which has Sterling Holloway, better known as Winnie the Pooh. Wow. As the Scarecrow. What? What See, a, like, what this a is wonderful pastor. Oh, my goodness. This lovely, like, she's got the 1960s bump. <gasps> Sherry Sherry is serving us a beehive of Dorothy. Like she's giving us a, a little, a little looks, sass. Looks very Penny Pingleton. Yeah, yes. I was gonna say yes. Um, but yeah, this one seems to have mostly adhered to the Gabrielson script. There's not anything 
really out of place that I see. I, I, yeah, this one actually looks like it covered it verbatim. All the song listings are the same. Um, I don't see any casting or name changes that are out of place. Again, just first witch, second witch. Um, fun fact, this program costs 96 cents with four cent sales tax for a grand total of a dollar. This same program would cost you 25 bucks. Yes. On Broadway right. or like right. four cent sales tax. <laughs> Love it. Um, but yeah, this is another one that has um, Toto played by like people in costumes and it's weird. Like they actually have a whole thing about meet the animals. And oh, I'm pretty sure Toto's costume is recycled from, oh no, that is, I was going to say, that looks like Nana from Peter Pan. It is Nana from Peter Pan. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Gotta use what you got, you know? Save some yeah. why, can't, why can't Nana play Toto? Nana has <laughs> Toto. <laughs> These little munchkins. Oh, little, little curtsies. Little I love the one in the front who's like, you all are standing still. I'm going to curtsy. She's extra. <laughs> she is extra. So the munchkins were clearly the kindergarten class. Yeah, we're bringing them in. From the local, I guess, Woodland Hills. Um, uh, love that one. Uh, so um, these are programs, but what's really interesting is, you know, in America, the, the script and score has never been commercially available. You have to rent the show. You have to license it. But in England, they actually sold both the libretto and the score in bookshops. Like you could just go in, like, you know, now you can go buy like a vocal score to any Broadway musical. This is the full piano conductor score, underscoring scene changes. There are cues for every instrument. I love it because they're using the Anton Loeb illustrations from the 1950s storybook. Um, So these came from the, they actually, one of them has their price tag came from French's London Theatre Bookshop and it cost two pounds and 25 pence. It's like four bucks. Love that. Right? Is that like four bucks for us? Yeah, something like that, which I think the exchange rate was probably a little different back then. But um, yeah, this is... (laughs) Post-war time. This is from 1964. So it reflects the 1950s, 1940s editions. Um, Whereas the, the one I found in the flea market which I also have its score. I just didn't pull it out because it's just in a like old binder. Um, the scores are slightly different. Wow. Mm. I just am like so curious to how things like why things shifted and changed. Yeah, like, I, and I don't know if this a time period change because the, the one from the flea market is copyright 78. So it's probably like a late 70s production or something like that. Or maybe it was 74, but it's in the 70s. So are these changes because of time? Or were these changes because of location? Did the London version try to make it feel more pantomime? For one, in this British libretto, in the British libretto, Glenda only speaks in verse. Love it. Okay. She first first appears during the cyclone. Um, The the cyclone's happening and it has uh, curtain rises as the music starts, revealing a front cloth only. Uh, blah, 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 stage business, stage business. At Q and score, bar eight, the Sorceress of the North enters. In keeping with the orchestration, her entrance should have a startle impact. But then she starts to speak over the mellows. It must be obvious that she is the good witch, and they emphasize quotation marks, with tongue-in-cheek sense of humor. She addresses the audience. Sorceress of the North am I. That cyclone was my doing. Tell you why. As part of the story, I'm not really due, but they need a few moments to set scene two. I, con- I conjured the twister up back in Missouri and fixed that it steadily gathered in fury. All day on its way, it's been coiling and curling, something spiraling, whirling and twirling, a towering cone of searing wind that whipped up the dust and writhed and spin. A- with a maximum slant on its axis, I geared it, the note of its howl ever rising in pitch. I'm a do-the-job properly type of witch. And it just, she said, it, she said witch. type of witch. Yes. Yeah. And it just keeps going. Um, this is, it. that's our theory. Also like, I'm like, you better own yeah. that you brought her here, that this cyclone was your doing. Yeah. Cause I've always thought it's your yeah. doing and you never say yeah. it. Thank you for bringing it to light. <laughs> so thank you. What production is this? The London London that you could just go out and buy. Wow. Um, also has like, you see Dorothy, such a romantic child, her head in the clouds and her dreams so wild. And yeah, they, they might be straight out of a picture book. And of late, she's worn a wistful look. And I thought an adventure in Munchkinland might give her a treat. I, so I prompted and planned for the cyclone to snatch up the house with her in it. And that's why Miss Dorothy, this very minute, 
is umpty 9,000 miles high in the sky. I've granted her wish that one day she'd fly over the rainbow. Well, it's come true. I hope she enjoys it and you do too. I love it. I love it. This but feels mostly, right. I don't believe you, Glinda. You wanted to give her a treat. You also had her kill a witch. Right. So. <laughs> I think there were some uh, other intentions. This keeps like reappearing and speaking in verse. And it's like, could you just answer the question? Are you sending me home or not? Uh, <laughs> this is a riddle. I love that. That's cute. I like that, that choice. It's super cool. Yeah. The London score is also interesting because it has a different overture than the American version, which I mean, overtures change. So I'm not that surprised but they have additional verses and lyrics in the main songs. So like um, Scarecrow has just a dance. I don't think he has any additional lyrics, but like when you get into Tin Man and Lion, they have these extra verses and counter melodies with Dorothy. Um, Like there's a part where Tin Man starts singing or Dorothy singing when she starts singing the verse from the beginning and when a man's an empty kettle, blah, blah, blah. And and yet you're torn apart and Lion comes or Tin Man comes in. I'm really torn apart. And there's like these just like echo and response, like call and response. Uh, if you only had a heart, if I only had a heart, like it's so weird. And then in um, Lion's song, it gets into whole new lyrics, um, which let me see if I can find those. I love Update. this so much. Update. Yeah. Yeah. I keep it fresh. I think it's people wanting to make their mark. Right. Like um, I'm going yeah, like, to make it this. even better. I'm going to just update this. Yeah. yeah. And, and the funny thing is, it's like they'll sing the song through the right way and then it'll pick up again and repeat with the new version. It's like if you've ever done forum and you're like, like we don't need seven reprises of everybody ought to have a maid. Please get on with it. That's and so I'll funny. Like, oh, I go. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> Yeah, uh, life would really be so much richer and repleter and sweeter and completer. We thank our lucky star. Oh, if only the mighty wizard by some magic right of, right of his, his, bring them up, which that's not grammar, his, 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 his uh, bring them up to par, simply up to par, merely up to par. They would all be far better off than they are. His, and that's how the song ends. And that's the, and there's no off to see the wizard tag. And I just, I don't know what they were going for, but it's. Somewhere though, like some guy in the audience said, I did that. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's me. And I can't even sing it because my brain says those aren't the lyrics. Those so are even I know what melody it's supposed to go to. I'm like, I can't. My brain's like, that's wrong. Wow. We're really searching for some of that meter. Zoe, you are like illuminating so many new like twists and turns of where this musical has gone. So many. So super cool. I never would have guessed. I have an off the road question just because this is something that I'm trying to piece together too. So on this episode, we're also covering just just gently dabbing on the musical records that Disney produced because that did help Uh stay in Oz during that time period where we didn't have VHS tapes. We didn't have... um, yeah, we didn't have the MGM picture as accessible. So that kind of kept the score alive, the few songs that it used from the score. So we're obsessed with the Michael Jackson. Um, That's eight, my eight, what is it in 1980? It's, it's in the 80s. It's the 30th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, is that correct? Uh, no, 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 no. 25th anniversary, 25th anniversary. 25th anniversary of Disney I think World, of right? Disneyland. No, Disneyland. 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 Um, where he sings like, that mashup of <laughs> follow the <laughs> follow the yellow brick road into ease on down the road with, yeah with, with when you wish upon a star as well but there's this like whole like follow the rainbow like there's this whole thing follow that it goes off-roading into where is that from who came up with that melody because that's not from the mgm yeah what is that do you know um, that sounds like the the uh is it were they pronounced mecca or mecca mako that that disco album Okay. I think they use that melody, that building. Follow, um, follow the rainbow and over the bee. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Follow, uh, well, those lyrics, those lyrics are in the original um, sheet music from, from uh, E.Y. Harburg. And, and it so got, in, wow. So yeah, so, um, when they okay. wrote the song, they wrote radio versions and film versions. Got it. Okay. Okay. This yeah, I was a little confused on what you were asking for a sec because I thought I'm like, oh yeah, Mecco took that and like reorchestrated it. But no, like that original follow the rainbow over the stream, follow the fellow who follows oh, the dream. Stream. That's it. Yeah, oh, that's dream. it. 
That is, I believe, I have the 1939 like scorebook you could buy in the lobby of theaters, and I'm pretty sure that's in there. Um, that's also where the uh, set of Scarecrow swinging on a pole and all those additional lyrics that are usually in stage versions. Um, he wrote those all so that the songs would make sense out of context. Yes. And yeah. Zoe, was this, mm-hmm. so you were saying like also like the Mecca album, didn't they do like that, um, the studio cast album of Wizard of Oz? So was this preserved on there first, these lyrics? So, um, you know what I'm talking about? The studio, was it with, um, Ken, no. The Ken Darby singers. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I just listened to that album last week and now I'm trying to remember, I think it is there. Okay. I'm because- just Open. We are open research, everyone. Open research here. Yes, not- you know, what I will do later this afternoon, I'll put that record on and see if it's there and I'll text you and let you know. Thank you. I like those lyrics. I do too. I was cute. wondering, I was like, where did this come up? Was this a Disney interpolation? Did, right, they, okay. did they come up with so this? But no, original. this is definitely original material wow. that just was I really love a lot of the deleted stuff. I do like the follow the rainbow over the stream. We've used that in spirit of Oz performances because uh, yeah, it's, like, it's like you're inviting them to join the journey with us. Yes. Okay. Follow it's- the fellow who follows a dream and it's, you know, it's the fab four, like who doesn't want to follow them on their journey. Yeah. That's um, I, I love that. And I love Michael singing it so much. <laughs> His follows are mind blowing. Uh, but they're, they're placed. <laughs> I will say Disney's Ding Dong the Witch is Dead is my favorite version ever. Oh, um, amazing. Because those original lyrics are in the score, the, you know, the once there was a wicked witch in the uh-huh. lovely land. You know, that's there. But one thing that they added, and I love it, and every time I do a stage production, I try and talk the music director into like, just, it's like three bars, put it in. Um, you know, they're like, let them know the wicked witch is done, 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 dead. Yes. I'm like, it just, it's a better punch. But I guess if you're going into the wicked witch, like coming out in Munchkin Land, but you could put it in the reprise. Yeah, yeah. Just I love that. Reprise should be different. <laughs> yeah, change it up. Zoe, can we get into the productions you have done of the Muni version? Yes. Yeah, so I've only done one production. And I'm pretty sure it was not legal. (laughs) Feels right. That's okay. It was like an elementary school, like, uh, you know, you know, it's just like you're in music class and like, we're going to rehearse this play and then we're going to perform it. And if your parents can come at 1130 on a Tuesday, (laughs) you know, but um, so it was like, it was really more readers theater than anything. But as a kid, I always remember like, what were these lines? Like, I didn't have, because I've done the Royal Shakespeare version, like, 11 times now so yeah, then when I look yeah. back at the Muni as a I, before I knew what the Muni was I'd be like in middle school going what was this noise that we were doing and then I discovered the script in a flea market when I got obsessed with the Muni and discovered oh my god it this is a real production um like we we did it really cheaply like the Rainbow Bridge was just me and this girl playing Dorothy just kind of walking and then uh, people in like black sweatsuits had like a rainbow stick and they were the sides of the, so the bridge itself didn't rotate. We just moved and they're like, we're the rails of the bridge. The bridge is moving. Um, Love it. And it it works good. really great. I, I think it really works great now as like a classroom production. Cause you don't need production values to do it. Right. Um, it's so charming. Again, that mm-hmm. word charming. Yeah, yeah. That feels right. It's so odd that it's licensable still though. You would think that when Royal Shakespeare came, Concord, Tams Whitmark, whoever would have pulled it from licensing because they eventually pulled the 1902 version and then it fell into public domain. But I'm wondering if they're holding on to it because if they don't, it could fall into public domain and take those versions of the songs with it. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know if that's even possible. But um, and it's weird. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the um, I have directed twice. I've directed the young performers edition for middle school. Yeah, uh-huh. And that is the Royal Shakespeare and the Muni pushed together, basically at any moment going with what is more easily easily obtainable for a middle school production. So it has jitterbug in place of poppy field. Jitterbug in place of poppy field. That makes sense yeah. for a young amateur Tweak production. It. Yeah. May as well. Easier and it gives more kids a feature too. That's what you yeah. have to be That's like, what yeah. it's all about. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's so weird that. It's still out there. You still, there was a theater I used to work for 
this past summer, they did the, they were trying to do things as cheaply as possible. I think they had a really rough season because of COVID. Right. So they're like, we're going to do Wizard of Oz again, but we're going to do Muni. Love it. And I'm sure sh- you would think that the audience is going what, but there were just enough changes that the audience went with it. They're like, oh, this is an outdoor theater experience. It's different. It has to be. So um, one of my friends who's, she's actually one of Spirit of Oz's witches, she got dunked in the cauldron and she's like, that was an experience that ah. I've never had before. She's like, I've been melted and gone through a trapdoor a hundred times. Now I've been dunked in a cauldron. That's the thing. You get the story in a, from like fresh eyes in a new perspective, which is yeah, cool. Yeah. It's I, here's a really weird thing that I would love to do. And I'm sure no one would ever fund it. I would like to actually mount a production of the Muni and perform it entirely in a historical context. So I'm talking costumes being like, sure. this is what the costumes would have looked like. This is what the makeup would have looked like. I found a company that still licenses backdrops from like the seventies. Wow. And they feel like this. So I'm like, I want retro backdrops, retro sets. And like, great. I'm and I, I would love to do it. I would probably find myself trying to change things just a little, like put the slippers and Toto back in at least. Like, yeah, that is, that is That's tricky. I don't love, <laughs> I think we need, I, honestly, what we need to do without Toto. At least it's the, the slippers. slippers yeah. I'm like, woof. At least. And I mean, maybe get the rocket ship out of there or at least have the wizard leaving the rocket ship without her. So we can have the, <laughs> the heels, the heel tap scene. So, but. but. Yes, yes. Oh, Again, we, no one's gonna we're that. here for this dream. We Zoe. are excited for you. Yes. <laughs> um, Oh, here's a fun fact. Um, this is completely random. There is a cast album of the Muni. It's not, I, I'm pretty sure that it was just studio singers licensed a score, but there is, um, it's by CC Productions. It's currently on Spotify. I think Spotify has it listed under like the Emerald Players or something like that. But it has their version of the scores. It sounds like, you know, maybe at one time accompanied a karaoke CD and now they've released it as like its own thing. <laughs> But it has like the two versions of Over the Rainbow, which is Dorothy singing it alone and then flowing into a chorus version. It has um, the the Sleeping Beauty Dream Ballet as the poppy field scene. Um, it's not all there, but it's definitely following. I I was that nerd in high school who sat there with the CD and the score. <laughs> okay, it's this version. It's changed a little, but it's this version. What? I'm trying really hard to find it. Emerald. I'll put that on my list of like, I'll go like find these things I've promised and I'll send you a link tonight to this. I'll let you know about that album. And I'll also see if I can find that St. Louis archive. Oh my gosh. I found you are a songs of knowledge. from the Wizard of Oz, the Emerald. The Emerald. From, 20, from 2007. Uh-huh. I haven't. CC Productions, I was not. Are is you, it like the letter C? We don't C, have to. C? We don't have to keep yeah, this on yet. But yeah, we we it out. Out. No, no, I will definitely find it and send it to you. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. You are a wealth of knowledge. Wealth of knowledge. See, this is like we, I, I could help. You know, it's so much fun. Like, finally, I'm on here. I've been wanting to do it forever. So I really thank you too for inviting me on. And this is fun. And I could really talk about this for hours on end. Um, so if you, if you find yourself in like, mm, we need another piece, you know, I'm happy to <laughs> come back and we're going to revisit Oz a lot with you. Yes. Linking one around. day, one day I'm going to talk Jane into letting me do this as a dramatic reading <laughs> on, yes. on one of the Oz club. Fun. Honestly, like, the International Oz club and the Muni should come together. To yes. do you know what? You two, you two should come to the national convention in New York. We'll get a whole cast and we'll do a table read. Um, like a, like how fun would that be? Like a concert read of this. Um, um, Tam Whitmark, cover yeah. your ears. We're not talking about this. Um, <laughs> we'll license it. We will pay full price. Oh, and like, we'll figure it out. We'll we will make it, it happen. Well, you know, all this money nonprofits have. <laughs> Only if I could play Lord Growly and I will or be the old lady or old lady? lady of the Emerald City. I would like to be awesome. <laughs> I want to be the witch, but when I get thrown in the cauldron, I'm going to scream bloody murder about how ah, I'm boiling alive, you know? Yes. I need you, Zoe, to stick to the script of free our year. Free. Pfizer, I'm sorry. The line is vague. F-E-I-U-G. Yes. So it could sound like something very wrong if you're not enunciating. Sister, truly thank you so much for coming on and joining us yes. as we explore and learn. We know we have a lot to learn and you've just yeah. truly, like Em said, have been a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Oh my gosh. We lucked out by meeting you. Know, I, I had a wonderful time. There'll Aww, be more. We can't wait to have more you back. More adventures. Yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs>
Lastly, we have a voice memo to share from our dear friend Garrett Kilgore to share more thoughts about the Muni stage production. Garrett is a lifelong Oz fan. Based in Texas, he is currently a co-host on Oz Talk and loves collecting Oz books and playbills. Our first question we asked Garrett was to describe his fascination with the Muni stage adaptation of Oz. Our second question was, what have you been able to piece together about this production's evolution over time and why you feel certain choices were made? Hey, Taryn, MK. All right, so to answer your questions, um, the second question is probably the harder one to answer um, because it seems like the production's evolution, unfortunately, since we don't have much to go off of other than sometimes production stills or the existent playbills, souvenir brochures, it's a little hard to tell what specifically evolved just from that. Um, one thing based on production photos you tend to see is the ruby slippers do very quickly start to make their appearance. Um, my assumption is there are probably also tweaks to the script um, to reflect their their appearance since they're not not in the actual you know stage version that the Muni created for some inexplicable reason. Um, yay, hot air balloons. However, probably one of the biggest things you notice is that Evening Star is basically only done by the Muni. Um, the, it seems like there is frequently an Act 2 specialty number for Dorothy. If she's not a known, like, popular celebrity, it does seem like they use something along the lines of Someday My Prince Will Come. Um, or one production just has a generically labeled love song. Um, but when you get people like Connie Stevens or Brenda Lee in as Dorothy, it does seem like they interpolate one of their hit numbers, um, for Dorothy. One of the other frequent things you'll notice is sometimes the Sorceress of the North, particularly if she's somewhat of a celebrity, um, will make an appearance in the second act for a random ballet, um, as is the case in the... Uh, Dallas State Fair Musicals production with uh, Buddy Ebsen as the Scarecrow and Maria Tallchief as the Sorceress of the North, they get a whole ballet together, basically, in the second act. Because why not? I mean, it, it was summer stock, and that was sort of the thing that, that happens. And that's, I think, one of the most fascinating things to me about the productions pre-Royal Shakespeare Company is just the amount of really big name people that show up in random productions. So you get some like in the early, late forties, it, it seems to be less big, big names. You get Evelyn Wyckoff who was traveling the country as in a, in Oklahoma and a couple of the R and H shows, but then you get Brenda Lee as Dorothy or Connie Stevens with white lipstick as Dorothy. And then, Buddy Epson and Maria Tallchief in Dallas or the Hudson brothers with Margaret Hamilton um, out at the Muni and Kansas City Starlight. And one of the things I find the most interesting, uh, Cosmignana in Fort Worth did it with uh, Margaret Hamilton as the Wicked Witch. And interestingly, Judith McCauley, who was on the uh, paper mill tour as Glinda, was Dorothy in that production. She did it as well in... Wichita, Kansas in the 70s. So it it seems to have happened kind of all over the place. Um, I don't know, that's, for me, that's the big appeal, is seeing random celebrities randomly show up in The Wizard of Oz and the weird sort of fun interpolations they add for them. So, anyhow, that's all I got. Thank you so much for listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod. If you are feeling frisky with your fingertips, scroll on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a glowing rate and review. Each person who leaves us a review will be entered to win our end-of-the-season Oz giveaways, including a gift basket of musical adaptation goods, which, trust me, you aren't going to want to miss. All previous reviews will also be considered in our entries. We see you. 
Until next time, catch us at Down the Yellow Brick Pod in our Technicolor scrapbook on IG and partying on our Patreon. Gratitude to our patrons of present and future for making more magic possible. Let's escape to Oz soon, okay? TTYL! On May 17, 1900, the very first copies of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum were printed. Deemed one of America's first original fairy tales, the book has been adapted several times on the stage and screen. In the 120 years since the book was first published, 39 more official sequels were written, and The Land of Oz became the center of many films, scripts, and short stories, in and out of the canon. Join me, Justin Peavy, as I explore this iconic franchise, reading every book, taking a deep dive into some of the lesser-known installments, and comparing adaptations to their respective source material. The wonderful recap of Oz is now streaming on all major podcast platforms. For more info, you can follow me on social media at OzRecap.